Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a busy show coming. We're going to be speaking in segment two with Kent Backus of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about some of the changes that have taken place in Japan that will allow more U.S. beef into that country. We're also going to talk about some of the changes that livestock haulers will be facing here, have been facing in the past three weeks, and we'll continue with the ending of the exemption for livestock haulers. And then in segment three, we're going to check in with Ryan Yates. He's the Managing Director for Public Policy at the American Farm Bureau Federation. And there are a lot of issues still pending before this Congress that will get sorted out here in the lame duck session. Ryan's going to bring us up to speed on what's happening there. And then we're going to end the show today with Jesse Allen. He's the Farm and Ranch Reporter for the American Ag Network, and uh, he's learning about tar spot today he's going to give us an update on that here at the end of the show before we dive into all of that however we are going to look at what's going on in the markets joining us to kick things off is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing Dwayne thanks for joining us today absolutely thanks for having me Mike let's talk about basis we're seeing relatively stable trade here in the futures market on the board of trade Dwayne so what is going on with basis out in the countryside when you look at what's happening in corn is the hottest part of the country still southwest Kansas? It really is. I'm looking at a, one of those basis maps right now on my computer screen, and yeah, I'm seeing some 798, some 817 as you get in western Kansas. Uh, yeah, basis is really, to me, still the, the true supply and demand factor. You know, it, it, if you don't have it, you got to pay more to get it. And, and that's what the basis job is, to move the grain from where we've got it to where we don't have it. And, and when you look at the eastern corn belt this year and, and the monster yields we had in Illinois, you know, we didn't have that in the west. So we're going to try to move that corn from east to west this year. Absolutely going to be going from that eastern corn belt over to the west. And in the meanwhile, Dwayne, it's going to be stopping at a lot of ethanol plants there across the Midwest. How are they doing when it comes to basis? Are they still leading the pack there for uh, for corn buyers? Yeah, they're very strong as well, and mainly because they're seeing some profits, believe it or not. We haven't seen for quite some time. I know this is a high corn price, and it's kind of funny with crude oil as low as it is, but the profitability is actually very good right now for ethanol plants. Um, I wish I could dive into and explain everything to you, but I don't think I could do it. And I don't think we have enough time anyway. So luckily, we'll just, I'll just tell you that they are profitable and therefore they're very strong in the basis side of things. The basis in the country has had to be strong, Mike, because farmers are very strong holders. Um, either that or the crop isn't there. And I, I don't think that's the case. I think farmers have made quite a bit of money and they don't need the income in this year anymore. And they can hold off and hope for even higher prices. Therefore, if you are short, like an ethanol plant needs some, for some reason before the end of the year. They're just going to have to pay up with a really good basis to get it. All right, Dwayne, over on the soybean side, I saw some concerns this past month with the slowdowns on the Mississippi River that we could see basis, particularly at river terminals, take a hit on the soy side. Has that developed? Not really. Uh, they're still fairly strong, and it's probably still the, that same case I just mentioned, that farmers are just such strong holders. That's the biggest thing. We just can't get it out of their hands. Uh, even around me, remember, Dakotas, right? Northeast South Dakota is where I'm at. We're kind of known for that negative a dollar basis. We're at about a par basis for soybeans up here. So, no, the basis is still strong in the countryside. And along those river terminals, they're still pretty good as well, but not as good as the crush plants, Mike. Um, the soybean oil, veg oil market is really kind of been on fire and might continue that way for the next several years as we expand that market and look at more products that way. So now it's, it's a very strong basis for this time of year, Mike. And, and I guess what we'll see after January, the first of the year, when vendors tend to open back up, if it stays that way or not, I, I actually see it staying strong. Yeah, sometimes the move to a new tax year doesn't change everything. If there's cash in the bank, Dwayne, you mentioned we're seeing expansion on the soybean oil side and some opportunity and some optimism right there. Let's take our focus over to the livestock side. I know you have been optimistic this cattle complex for some time. This past week, we saw that cattle on feed report, thought we'd get some bullish moves, and it just it hasn't really materialized. Where do you see fats and feeders going from here? 
I, I think we've had our pullback now from that bullish report. We got a little bit more in line with cash. I, I think both the feeders and the fad markets maybe got a little bit in front of themselves uh, with the momentum. And, and now we've dipped back. We corrected the overbought conditions. Funds are actually buying these markets now. I, I think this is a good spot where we find some support. Mike can start grinding higher. I, I I look at that cash fat market to continue to go higher. I think Packers need the cattle, and, and everyone's fairly current. Uh, the cattle are performing very well because we've been drier this fall, so we production is fairly high. But on the cash feeder side of things, Mike, we kind of struggled a little bit more than I thought uh, this last month, but I think that has a lot to do with the holiday and, and just the seasonal tendencies. You know, guys like to wait till after Thanksgiving and go out and fill those feedlots, you know, get up here, the ground's frozen, then it's a lot better to put them on frozen ground than mud. So I think that cash feeder market's going to take off. And, and the futures market just had to pull back to get a little closer in line to that index at 175 before we can make the next leg higher. Dwayne, on the fat side, we've got these concerns you know, rising here with the rail strike pending. We've got you know, recession fears with that managed money moving into fat cattle. Is there the risk that perhaps there could be a, a big downside drop if those folks all decide to sell? They could, but right now, Mike, they're not long enough for me to be concerned about that. They kind of did that before. That was our dips earlier into the fall, early October time frame. They really really got out of a lot of positions and feeders. They, they don't have much of a long position yet. So at this point, no, that's not a concern. Well, Dwayne, I mean, you get the chance to work with a lot of cattle feeders across the country. And as I look out on the feeder chart here, these deferred contracts, that May contract sitting just shy of 190. How do you manage that risk looking ahead, given what feed costs are expected to be? Yeah, I, I don't mind looking out there too, as bullish as I am, but look out there and maybe start talking about, you know, the, the typical things like a put option or the new and popular LRP contracts. It's not new, I guess, but it's new to a lot of producers. You know, just a way to protect that price you know remember you buy a put you, you hope it's a waste of money but boy it is kind of nice to set that floor out there and know that that's what you're going to get for those fall calves or or next year's calves that are going to be born soon and just have that baseline and and hope it's a waste of money hopefully it does go to a 240 or something but you know I, we haven't talked about the r word the recession and i i'm not a big buyer and the fact that we're going to have this massive recession that pulls all commodities down but it is possible. And, and you know the cattle market, Mike, right? I mean, it seems like anything happens wrong, and that takes the brunt of it. Yeah, it does. That, that's true, Dwayne. You mentioned you don't see a massive global recession. What, what do you expect to see from the broader economy perspective looking out? Well, I'm definitely not an expert in this, but it, what I think is out there is just a whole lot of cash. I, I just... I mean, I don't like inflation the way it is, and but I, I mean, people are looking. Well, we can't find people for enough jobs we have, but I'm, of course, in the Midwest too, and maybe that's just something we see here. But I, I don't see much recession when there's jobs out there for people to go get. Um, I don't know. It seems like I talked recession for about 10 years in the Dow. Thought we needed to pull back, and it never seems to happen that much. Now we've had some pullbacks. I just, I'm just not as concerned as everyone else. I think you know if China can stabilize right here and they start backing off their COVID restrictions, which I expect them to do, then us and China together can start to grow a little bit and feed off each other's demand. At least maybe I'm a glass half full type guy, Mike, but that's what I'm open for. Well, Dwayne, I tell you, I have been traveling a lot and the airports have been packed with families. So I think there is still some cash out there. I don't think you're entirely on the wrong page, folks. That's Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stick around. Kent Backus, Executive Director for Government Affairs from NCBA, will join us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a 9 to 5. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. 
Define your future at channel.com slash future. Freedom follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times! Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Today we are talking about a lot of issues impacting the world of agriculture, and it's hard to find another issue causing more heartache this year than the supply chain. With the dryness on the Mississippi River Basin, with the pending potential railroad strike in the weeks ahead, all the focus has been on how do we get what we're making to where it needs to go. And livestock haulers, certainly not exempted from that. Joining us now for an update on what is happening in the cattle industry is Kent Backus. He is the Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Kent, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. It's good to be here. You know, on the supply chain front, we did see livestock haulers and, and all truckers operating under an exemption to the hours of service set by the FMCSA. And Kent, I understand that has come to an end. You know, we had uh, we had applied uh, to have that extended. We wanted to continue to operate with that uh, grace period, and FMCSA uh, declined it. Uh, they denied our uh, our petition, our, our application, and so uh, you know, uh, it, now we're we're no longer going to have that that extra cushion that we needed. And you know, and this is something that was really helpful to us, uh, you know, during COVID and during uh, a lot of other times because you know we're hauling uh you know live animals uh, we're not hauling uh you know dry goods and other things like that so we need that flexibility that ability to be able to move these cattle quickly safely and efficiently and fmcsa uh, trying to fit livestock haulers in the same box as everyone else is, is simply just going to make that much more difficult for us yeah it really doesn't work and kent the exemption that livestock haulers were operating under what additional freedoms did did it allow them so we had uh you know Fortunately, we do have a, a little bit of uh, wiggle room, a little bit of, of comfort there with, with some of the, uh, the, the 150 mile radius uh, you know, freedoms on the, the back end of a haul. But uh, you know, the, these hours of service exemptions uh, were, were helpful because uh, sometimes um, you, know, you, you needed that greater distance outside of that 150 miles. You needed uh, to be able to, to go that additional hour. You also didn't uh, want to have to pull your uh, truck over on the side of the road, um, you know, especially in hot months and cold months. 
you need to keep those cattle ventilated and you don't want to have to offload them. So, uh, you know, this has really been built into a lot of uh, operation plans uh, and has really been built into a lot of our efficiencies. So, uh, you know, this is a this is a painful development for us. Uh, and at a time when we already have, uh, you know, trucker shortages, it's not like we can just keep, you know, uh, sending tandem drivers uh, together. You know, we've, we've really had to find ways to make this work. Uh, and so this is just another added stress on all of our livestock transporters. Yeah, it certainly is. So Kent, looking forward with this exemption now behind us and with FMCSA ruling against extending it for livestock haulers, what's next? How do we get that flexibility or or similar flexibilities back for America's haulers? Well, I think in the short run, it's going to be really difficult for us. But, you know, for NCBA, this is something that we're going to continue to work on. Uh, we're going to look at at, at, at other venues. Uh, you know, FMCSA has has closed the door uh, on us before on other areas, and we've been able to turn to Congress uh, for intervention. So we're going to look at options. We're going to look at, at uh, you know, what other tools we have. Um, and then we're going to work with uh, with our state affiliates and with our producers to make sure they have all the information they need so that they can, you know, obviously comply with the with the law, but, but also uh, make sure that they continue to have uh, all that safety and efficiency that they've, they've built into their operation. All right. So the fight continues is the name of the game there. And sometimes these fights on policy matters can take years to finalize. I know that we have been engaged in discussions with the country of Japan for some time, Kent, on changing, uh, well, their beef import rules. And just before Thanksgiving, their diet, the Japanese legislature voted to change it. Can you talk to us about this development and, and what it means for American beef exports into that high value country? So this is a very positive uh, development for us. You know, Japan is one of our top export markets for many years. It's been our our our, our top export market, but um, you know, in recent years we've seen tremendous growth there. Um, <clears throat> most of that is just due to strong consumer demand, but also because we've been able to put trade policies in place, uh, trade agreements uh, through the Trump administration uh, to, to to open up that market and remove those tariff and, and non-tariff barriers. Uh, we ran into a bit of an issue right out of the gate with our trade agreement, though, because we sent so much beef to fill that demand that we ended up triggering a safeguard or a tariff increase. And fortunately, our negotiators have been had been smart enough to build in <clears throat> build in a clause that said that if we ever triggered those safeguard measures, that the negotiation or that the uh, the deal would immediately be renegotiated. So uh, from the get-go, uh, you know, the U.S. Trade Representative's office was working closely with Japanese government uh, to find another path forward, to find a way to, to make sure that, you know, Japanese consumers continue to have access to U.S. beef. So this has been a, a long process we've been going through. Uh, we saw the announcement last year, uh, but <clears throat> Japan still had to go through and make legal changes. They had to change their law uh and had to have their uh, their congress equivalent the diet had to have that approved and so this recent announcement is just confirmation that 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 process is finally over and that we uh, you know we can continue to enjoy this strong uh, access into the japanese market that is good news. That is a huge market. $2.4 billion, I believe, is what our friends from USMEF calculated Japan is worth, certainly adding some value for American producers. And, Kent, I think a success. Uh, Ambassador Catherine Tai from the U.S. Trade Rep's office got this negotiated. We're still waiting on some of those ag trade officials to be nominated. We're in the lame duck session. Kent, can we get our USTR ag negotiator and USDA ag negotiators nominated or confirmed? You know, that is a top priority for us. We need to make sure that agriculture has a seat at the table. Uh, you know, the Biden administration doesn't is not taking a traditional uh, approach when it comes to uh, trade policy. They've, they've really tried to enter into different, uh, you know, they call them frameworks and narratives and other things like that, dialogues. But you still need representation at the table. And so far, ag has been very limited. And that's because we don't have a chief agriculture uh, negotiator and we don't have an undersecretary for trade at USDA. Those two uh, positions are very important, not only on dealing with trade law, but also on dealing with the technical aspects of trade. And so agriculture, uh, you know, we've had it. We've been at a tremendous disadvantage and uh, other countries are moving quickly to try to secure better access for their ag exports uh, and for 
uh, their supply chains. We need to make sure we had that representation there. So yes, NCBA and a lot of other agricultural groups have, have really been pushing Congress uh, to, to make sure that that these positions are confirmed, you know, by the time uh, by the time they leave for Christmas. Uh, so we're hopeful. Uh, we're going to keep that pressure on them because these are very important positions. Kent, you know, without having those voices at the table, as we're negotiating these frameworks, and I think about the Indo-Pacific economic framework that the Biden administration has been really working hard on, without those ag representatives, do you think we've missed opportunities to include ag issues in those negotiations? I do. I think that, you know, not only have we missed opportunities, but we've just continued to uh, delay those conversations. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you're seeing other industries being represented uh, from, you know, from uh, tech and services, from uh, a lot of the financial sector. They all have representation there, uh, you know, but agriculture doesn't. And so uh, it's important that, you know, we continue to, to have uh that we have that access and that we're able to have those communications. There's only there's only conversations that can happen at the very highest levels if you have people confirmed in those positions. The rank and file at the agencies are doing everything that they can to advance these negotiations and to advance all of these discussions. But until you have those politically appointed positions in place, and until you have them there speaking and negotiating on behalf of the US government, we can't go anywhere. And so we're leaving a lot on the table by not having these positions filled. Yeah, those delays certainly hurt us and they add to the uncertainty. And well, Kent, speaking of delays, we're still waiting to hear how we're going to fund this government after December 16th. What are you hearing in D.C. and and what's, uh, what could come up there? Well, you know, Mike, that kind of changes by the hour. Uh, it depends on who you're asking. Uh, you know, the government is funded through December uh, 16th. We are hearing rumors that uh, you know members of Congress should expect to be here all the way up until Christmas. Uh, so uh, a couple of things can happen. We could we could very likely see uh, another continuing resolution where uh, you know this Congress funds uh, the government into next year. Uh, we don't know how far that would be. It could be the spring. It could be for the entire year. Uh, they could also have uh, an omnibus, which is where they just pull all of the appropriations bills together. Uh, that's going to take a lot of uh, floor time either way. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, whatever the case, uh, the government's funded through the 16th and not after. So uh, the last thing we want to see is a government shutdown. So uh, we're hopeful, we're optimistic that we'll see some, uh, some floor movement on any of those uh, uh, possible bills by the end of the year. All right, folks, well, keep your eyes open for headlines on that government funding and these other issues. We have been speaking with Kent Bacus. He is the Executive Director for Government Affairs at NCBA. And Kent, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. And folks, stick around. We'll be back with Ryan Yates from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risva with this market update. A U.S. rail strike has possibly been averted. The 12 labor unions representing the rail industry appear to be headed to a strike that would have paralyzed the nation in September when the White House stepped in to negotiate a tentative agreement. A cooling off period was established until November 19th for all 12 unions to vote on the agreement. All 12 needed to approve in order to move forward without a strike. 
Ford unions rejected the agreement and the cooling off period was extended until December 9th. Now, Congress could have acted to avoid a strike, but lawmakers were reluctant to upset the union rank and file who were upset with the brokered agreement. That all changed, though, late yesterday when outgoing U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced that the House of Representatives will proceed with legislation to, as she says, adopt the tentative agreement reached between unions and railroads in September to avert a national rail strike. Now, it will still take some time and work to get this done, but Pelosi indicated that the House would vote on the measure this week before sending it to the Senate for approval. The president's signature would also be needed if it passes the split Senate. The focus then may shift to the longshoremen on the West Coast who are still far from reaching a labor agreement. Stocks are mixed to start the day today after seeing a sell-off yesterday. Little has changed as we approach the end of the month with traders still worried about how rising COVID numbers in China may be detrimental to its economy along with demand for commodities. However, the Chinese markets rallied today on a sense of optimism that government authorities will have little choice but to relax its dynamic zero-COVID policies, allowing the economy to open. And Chinese buying of soybeans has been slow for the second week in a row as they wait out for the reinstatement of pesos for soybeans program that was very effective in September and this time will run through December. Crude oil prices are more than 1% higher this morning on the China optimism, while the grain and oil seed markets are mixed but mostly higher. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, typically, as we look at the calendar, the month of December isn't a very busy month in Washington, D.C. A lot of those Congress folks are ready to get out of town, get back to their home districts, and celebrate the holidays. This year, however, this lame duck Congress certainly has a lot on its plate, and there are some agricultural issues still pending yet this year. Joining us for an update on those issues is Ryan Gates. He's the Managing Director of Public Policy at the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Good morning. Let's talk first. The big issue that Congress is discussing yesterday and today is this rail strike. Andrew, I know American Farm Bureau would love to see a rail strike averted. What are you hoping Congress does? Well, this is a this is a huge issue for for all of us in agriculture, and uh, we have weighed in heavily with with both the White House uh, as well as Congress to help to try to mitigate a solution here. So we're hopeful that um, that Congress can can find a solution. Uh, we were pleased that President Biden, um, you know, said what he did yesterday and urged Congress to, to find a solution. And I recognize that uh, Speaker Pelosi has also uh, committed to scheduling uh, floor time in the House to, to get a bill passed. So it's a big deal. And making sure that the supply chains are open uh, is critical for the movement of goods in for American agriculture. So we're we're hopeful that this is, you know, one of a handful of issues that that Congress can address during the lame duck session. Well, that's just the thing. We've got all of these things on their plate, and now this rail issue pops up. We'll be watching those headlines to see what Congress ends up doing on this issue as it goes forward. But in the meantime, Ryan, as you mentioned, it's pushing discussions on other issues to the back burner, um, notably WERDA. Uh, this is the, the Water Development Act and Water Resources Development Act, vital for America's inland waterways. What are we seeing there? Well, I think we have good news here. And again, Congress sometimes can 
can work very, very slowly. And when they get a little bit of pressure, like in a lame duck session, they can find a way to find a bipartisan path forward on, on getting the things that they need to do done. And that includes getting worded done. That is, this is a, a biannual uh, bill that, that focuses on uh, providing support for flood control, for navigation, ecosystem restoration products, all for the Army Corps. Uh, it sounds like both the House and Senate have had action on WERDA, but they haven't been able to get it to cross the finish line. It looks like negotiations now um, have included uh, that both the House and the Senate are looking at including WERDA in a must-pass bill. That's the National Defense Authorization Act. And so uh, I, from what I, we understand, the, the uh, folks on both sides of, of the Capitol have uh, agreed to include WERDA, and we're hopeful that uh, next week that um, Congress can get an NDA done that includes WERDA, which is critically important to provide those infrastructure and projects uh, for our waterways. And right, you know, we have seen water be such a hot topic in the ag community, given the last two years of drought in this La Nina cycle. With this particular word or reauthorization, are there any big changes anticipated or is this just a status quo to maintain the projects that are ongoing? Yeah, this is just something Congress has to do every two years. It, you know, it keeps these projects in the in the pipeline and, you know, between WERDA and the, the infrastructure package that passed earlier this year, um, there are resources and projects that provide uh, really critical, important improvements to our infrastructure uh, and waterways across the United States. And I think especially looking at uh, some of the, the impacts of the drought, not only in the West, but across the Midwest, impacts to the Mississippi, the Missouri, you know, focusing on inland waterways and moving goods is critically important, not only to get products from the farm out to markets, but also getting goods uh, upstream to to our farmers, you know, and those, those farm inputs where they need to be. So again, this is, this is something I'm I'm glad uh, that Congress has come together, and I, I think they're going to get this one done. All right, so we'll be watching for that NDAA vote likely taking place later next week, you know, theoretically. Ryan, we've got so much coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, notably, as, as Kent Backus mentioned there in our last segment, we've got an appropriations bill to, to keep this government funded past December 16th. What are you hearing on the halls of, uh, of D.C. on that? Well, it's almost comical, and I've been in town almost 20 years, and this is the one thing Congress is 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 charged with doing every year: is keeping the lights on and, and funding funding the government through through their uh, series of appropriations bills. And uh, it's funny that it's you know it's almost December, and we're talking about an appropriations package that should have been done before the beginning of the fiscal year in September. But here we are; we continue to negotiate uh, to fight over getting an appropriations package done. Uh, I'm confident that they'll get it done. I guess the big question now is after the election, you know, many Republicans want to see a short-term continuing resolution, you know, kick the can, if you will, to January, where Republicans in the House will will take the majority and will want to put their take on appropriations for the rest of the fiscal year. Democrats, I think, would like to get this bill done and uh, get an appropriations package done that's gonna fund the government through the end of the fiscal year in September of next year. So the question is gonna be how that horse trading takes place and whether or not this is gonna be a short-term kick the can exercise, or if they can actually get appropriations done for the remainder of the year. Farm Bureau is supportive of obviously keeping the lights on, getting their work done, and, and we're hopeful that they can find a bipartisan path forward here. Now, obviously, with the negotiations ongoing, a lot remains to be seen. But with an appropriations bill broadly, Ryan, can there be big changes in, for instance, USDA funding? You know, at this point, I think there there are opportunities for small tweaks. But, you know, most uh, of the appropriations bills have moved through their committees. They've gone through the process. Really, at this point, we're talking about, as I like, since we're in the holiday spirit here, this is a Christmas tree at the end of the year. And so there's always opportunities to hang a few more ornaments on that tree. And, and many of those are those those uh, those negotiations tend to hold up the process. You know, hopefully we can go uh, for more of a clean bill. The cleaner the bill, the easier it is to get done. Um, you know, the more you start talking about tweaks and add ons, um, it, it tends to, to muddy up the process. So that's going to be the question is how much they want to add to the last train leaving the station. 
All right. Well, we'll watch and see what comes out of Washington, D.C. on the appropriations front. Bringing it back to pending legislation, Ryan, we have seen a lot of conversation on labor this past year, both inside ag and in the broader economy. And ag has been clamoring for some updates to ag labor laws. Farm Workforce Modernization Act, what's your take here on this policy going forward or, or how does it play out? You no, know, and that again, looking at uh, you know that last train leaving the station, um, the appropriations bill may be a mechanism to get a labor bill done um, to to attach some language. Um, we have been working on you know Farm Bureau and all the ag community have been, been trying to find issues to resolve uh, long-standing problems with labor uh, in this country. Uh, we've been at this year after year after year. Uh, we're we, we're hopeful that we can find a bipartisan path forward. You mentioned the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, which passed in a bipartisan fashion earlier this year. Unfortunately, there were still a few flaws where Farm Bureau couldn't quite support that bill, but it came pretty close. We are actively working with our champions in in the Senate, uh, notably Senators Bennett and Crapo uh, from Colorado and Idaho, respectively, uh, to find a bipartisan path forward. Um, look, ag labor reform is a top priority for Farm Bureau. Workforce shortages have been the, one of the greatest limiting factors for growth in U.S. agriculture, and it's time we, we find a solution that works for all. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we can find a path forward here, but like you say, this is a short lame duck and the clock is ticking. It is. And so as you look out to this next year, if nothing happens on labor in this Congress, no doubt it will be on the menu next year. Ryan, does it get more difficult with this new Congress following the midterms? You know, some have made that that claim, and that very well could be the case. Uh, you know, the, the the good thing for us is, you know, Farm Bureau and, and any of our friends in town, um, we don't pick who we work with. You know, the voters send us uh, senators and, and representatives uh, to represent their states and their communities at home, and we will work with each and every one of them that comes to town. We will have a brand new freshman class of members in both uh, the, in the House and the Senate um, that uh, are going to be bringing with them you know, different ideas and thoughts and ways to represent uh, their constituents back home. And, and we will approach them in the 118th, no different than we did in the 117th. So I remain optimistic. This is such an important issue uh, to resolve that um, if, you know, if they unfortunately can't find a path forward this year, when I'm still committed to, to getting that done, uh, we will absolutely work with the next Congress to find a path forward. All right. Discussions ongoing there in D.C. That issue is so huge across this country. Ryan, while we've got you on the line, another issue we have heard a lot from this administration about, of course, is climate change and climate smart agriculture. There was a lot of attention this past summer on the Growing Climate Solutions Act and that it, it fizzled out. What happened there? You know, it's fascinating. You know, when you look at uh, the incoming Biden administration two years ago and and uh, the beginning of the 117th Congress, so much attention has been focused on, on climate sustainability. And one of the fascinating things to come out of all of these dialogues from every sector of the economy, uh, Congress hasn't been able to find uh, ways to really um, find solutions for, for climate sustainability outside of agriculture. And so we've been thrilled to, to work with champions in, in the House and the Senate to get the Growing Climate Solutions Act done. And if you look back in June, that bill was passed in the Senate by a margin of 92 to 8. And if you're talking about a Senate with it's a 50-50 split, this is about as split as we can get, folks. And I'm not a math major, but that is bipartisanship if, if there isn't uh, uh, that, I've, that I've never seen on an issue like sustainability. So that really set the stage for some positive movement. Um, but like you said, it sort of fizzled in the House. I think there were some differences of opinions, and uh, I'm still um, uh, hopeful that uh, can, conversations can continue and we can get that bill done. But I, I think for, for agriculture, uh, we have been a leader in sustainability. Farmers and ranchers, um, you know, they've been on the land for, you know, generations. They know how to, um, you know, have put forward sustainable businesses that can protect the land for future generations. And we're hopeful that Congress can work with us uh, to, to, to commit to longstanding commitments to sustainability in agriculture. So. Um, we'll see what they can do with it. We're hopeful. All right. Hopeful indeed, folks. We have been speaking with Ryan Gates, Managing Director of Public Policy at the American Farm Bureau Federation. Ryan, thanks for joining us. And folks, stick around for Jesse Allen when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Jay Deberton, president and CEO of CHS, shares how cooperatives are adapting to meet global needs. Jay, looking to the future, how do you see the cooperative system evolving to continue meeting the needs of cooperative owners and customers? Sustainability issues are continuing to grow. I think the issues and, and the speed at which the issues come at us is a little bit uncertain. But what isn't uncertain is they're coming at us. So our role at CHS is making sure that we are helping the people that own us as well as how we operate, you know, are, are in sync with that evolving world with sustainability issues. And we really look at our role as helping producers win in that environment. A couple other areas that I would look to is, you know, um, we as producers of, of food need to grow more food with less water and less fertilizer. And the technology that we bring to the people that own us in, in very specific ways help people actually do that. And then finally, I'd, I'd point to creating new connections around the world to provide value to the owners and our customers. That's a lot of change in the forecast. Jay, how is CHS helping to drive that change? You know, I'd begin with, you know, uh, talent is our investment in talent. Because at the end of the day, if, if you give me just one thing that I can look to to help ensure our success and the success of the people that we work with that own us, and, and that is, are we investing in good people to both help our customers and our owners and how we run the company? Investment in facilities and our investment in speed and space, our investment internationally where it's necessary to ensure markets are open for the crops and goods that our customers and owners grow. Jay Deberton, President, CEO of CHS, thank you for joining us. My honor to be with you, Mike. Thank you. And folks, thanks to you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership by visiting cooperativeownership.com. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA Today. You know, this dryness this past growing season created a lot of headaches for growers, but it did prevent or at least limit the impact of tar spot. But no doubt we'll get more moisture going forward. It remains a concern for growers across the country, and it's the subject of the Tar Spot Summit put on by AgriLiant Genetics over in Indianapolis, Indiana. Joining me from the event is Farm and Ranch Director for the American Ag Network, Jesse Allen. Jesse, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Mike, great to be with you. Thanks for the time today. We appreciate you uh, having us on. And I also have with me uh, Christy Todabush, Vice President of Product Management and Marketing and Digital here at uh, AgriLiant Genetics to talk a little bit about TarSpot today. Well, Jesse, uh, talk to me a little bit. What are the issues that AgriLiant is highlighting here at the event? Well, the, the biggest issue is that tar spots become very top of mind for farmers. It's their top concern. It's eclipsing all sorts of other worries out there like northern corn leaf blight, southern rust, gosses wilt, et cetera. And AgriLiant just released a new survey that talks about this. And Christy, I'll bring you in. You uh, had a lot to do with kind of looking at this survey and looking at some of the impacts of tar spots for farmers. Talk a little bit about just what you saw with the results and some of the concerns that we're hearing from farmers across the Corn Belt. Sure. Yeah, happy to. <clears throat> so what we learned from farmers, as you said, is, is tar spot is top of mind. So of all the diseases they think about in corn, um, tar spot is the one that is most frequently mentioned when they list those diseases and it's listed first most often. So very top of mind. Um, also, we learn more about the impact, a significant impact that it's had on yield and overall profitability as farmers work to mitigate the disease as well. Um, but then we also learned is while this disease is having a significant impact and is of great concern, farmers aren't really clear on how to manage it, manage it right? The best management mm -hmm. practices. And some of those best management practices that they highlighted in terms of scouting, crop rotation, for example, um, when we talk to academics, they actually tell us that, that those things aren't terribly effective, right? And so mm -hmm. there does seem to be a gap in terms of understanding the seriousness of the disease and also really understanding how to manage it. And so we're trying to help fill that gap um, because we, you know, at, at AgriLand Genetics develop unique um, corn genetics and we work hard on disease resistant traits in those genetics that we can deliver to the market that can help solve this problem. Very true, very true, Mike. Yeah, that is a great point, Christy. And I'm curious, at the summit today, as you're talking about bridging that knowledge gap on how to manage it and how tar spot spreads, what pieces of information are you bringing to the growers? What do we need to know about tar spot? Sure, yeah. Um, so we've heard from a few academics today um, about different management practices. And so uh, uh, the couple things that I've taken away today is that you know there is a lot of research that's being done right now um, there is a lot of research, especially on uh, fungicide efficacy um, and timing that comes along with that. The challenge with tar spot is it's a sneaky disease. That's what we've heard a lot today, um, that it actually has a long latency period. So by the time you notice it on your field, it's too late really to manage the impact of it. And so um, there's a lot of research going on today about how you catch it early. Definitely. I know as well with AgriLiant, uh, another part of the issue you guys mentioned, your, your hybrid genetics, you guys are trying to develop here at the research facility different genetics that could hopefully mitigate the impact of tar spot. And I know that's one of the big things that you guys are working on in correlation with some of the university experts, Christy. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. And so we work on um, developing unique hybrids um, for the U.S. market, and many of which have never been seen in this market before. So it gets to the issue and the question of genetic diversity. So as some of our genetic pools have gotten more narrow and narrow mm -hmm. as the consolidation of the agri agriculture industry has taken place, and we have new diseases that come into um, our geographies in North America, um, we do see that negative impact. And so we're working hard to identify disease tolerant hybrids. And the academics today highlighted that as the most effective tool against diseases specifically like tar spot. 
Very and true. it's fascinating that you bring that up, Christy, because uh, what we're seeing with that genetic diversity of the seeds is it's going to be vital as tar spot keeps spreading. Can you talk to us about who needs to be alert for tar spot here in 2023? Sure, yeah. There are, in, in the survey, we identified a number of high-risk states, you know, that kind of go through the, the north, really around Lake Michigan. And then as you move out to the Dakotas and to Missouri and Kentucky, those are kind of emerging risk states. But we've even seen tar spot, you know, down south in pockets of Georgia, um, because it really is a, a combination of factors that drive the disease. Um, and so farmers really need to be watching out really across the corn belt for the most part. Um, but especially when they have, um, you know, a significant um, rain events and, and really when there's um, significant wetness on the leaf, it seems to have um, create perfect environment for tar spot. The challenge is that unlike white mold, you know, it's airborne. And so just managing it and trying to manage it in terms of, terms of residue or other things mm -hmm. like that, it's, you know, it, it's not going to keep it from, from showing up in next year. So we, we really had a good year this year, um, but it was really related to the weather conditions that can very easily shift and change next year. And so what we're learning from the, the survey and from the conversations here in the room is that farmers are just trying to figure out how to manage that. Um, with a disease that's airborne like that um, and can move so quickly between states with the right, right weather conditions. Definitely. And Christy, I think that's my next concern with tar spot and its spread. Given the fact that it's airborne, it's just going to continue to spread, isn't it, into other mm -hmm. states? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we've seen, um, again, the spread as far south um, as Georgia. And it's very interesting because when you look at that spread, it actually practically skips over a few states and then shows up where it has the presence of, you know, the the um, the fungal spores in that area, mm -hmm. plus the weather. And it's that magical combination or deadly combination, I guess I should say, um, that really uh, makes an impact. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, folks, we better let you get back to your meeting. Jesse, Christy, tell us where can we learn more about AgriLiant and, and the work that's being done? Well, I will say as well, the, the survey results uh, are posted on our website, uh, AOA's website, Mike, so I should have uh, let you know about that beforehand, <laughs> agricultureofamerica.com, so you can find the latest details linked right there. All right. Thank you so much to Jesse Allen and Christy Todebush from AgriLiant Genetics. Appreciate you joining us. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA right here. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.